Hello, this is Tiernan Ray, and you are listening to the Technology Letter Podcast for Sunday, November 27th. 2022, the abbreviated market session ahead of the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday week ending on Wednesday was a rounding error. The Nasdaq Composite Index closing up less than a point, and the Standard Poor's 500 up a point and a half for the week. The Nasdaq is now up 2% for the month, almost ended, and the S&P 500 up almost 4% for November. The Technology Letter 20 list of companies to consider closed the abbreviated week up 1% and is now up 4% for month to date, having a much better November than it had October. The TL20 are down 6% since being inaugurated back in mid-July. It's a big improvement from some double-digit declines in October. The leaders and laggards in the TL20 remain the same as they have been in recent weeks. Arista Networks is the best of the group, up 33% since inauguration. Uh, Fiber optic device maker Coherent has been the weakest, down 25% since mid-July, followed closely by Tesla, down 24%. The TL20 was helped this past week by the earnings report Tuesday morning of analog devices. This was the 10th quarter in a row in which analog devices topped revenue expectations, and its 13th quarter in a row of topping consensus with its revenue forecast. Analog is helped by the fact that it's very different as a chip maker from Intel, advanced micro devices, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, a lot of the chip makers with which you may be more familiar. Those other companies are in a couple of product areas that dominate sales for them. Intel microprocessors for PCs and servers, same for AMD, graphics processing units for NVIDIA and for Qualcomm classically, the uh, modem and microprocessor for handsets. For analog devices, they're in a bunch of very diverse markets and very diverse product categories within those diverse markets. And they tend to focus their effort on some of the most complex and most valuable functions within those product categories in those diverse markets. And so for that reason, they are not having the same kind of trouble that we've seen with NVIDIA, AMD, Intel, uh, and Qualcomm this earnings season. On the call, analysts were sort of baffled at at how well Analog is doing. And so they asked management to please explain to them why are things going so well. Merrill Lynch analyst Vivek Arya asked, quote, are you surprised why your orders and bookings are holding up better even though all the headlines we see from a macro perspective seem to be getting tougher, unquote. Well, Vincent Roche, the CEO of Analog Devices, responded by explaining that this is a different kind of chip company. Quote, never have we been more diverse in terms of geographies, customer coverage, depth of coverage, depth of engagement. And he added, product life cycles uh, stretch into the decades with very, very stable pricing for Analog's chips in its various markets. What are those markets? Well, over half of the company's sales come from what are called industrial product categories and industrial markets. This is an amazing cornucopia of devices. It includes sensor chips that are attached to machinery, heavy equipment, to detect levels of vibration that might indicate a future fault or breakdown of equipment. It includes chips that go into medical devices for things such as boosting the resolution of CAT scans. It includes chips that serve 
in high voltage testers of electric vehicles and other renewable energy systems. It includes a gigabit communications chips for 5G networks uh, and also for the cockpit of new automobiles, electric vehicles. Everything now has a screen in every seat, right? So this is a market that analog is playing in. And these are things that don't change with the fashions like handsets or PCs every single year. These are things that take, in many cases, years to develop. And once these chips are put into service, they produce revenue for analog devices for years and years because in these markets such as healthcare and automotive and renewable energy, industrial systems, heavy equipment, the stuff doesn't get taken out of service every single year. Roche told uh, the analysts on Tuesday, quote, digital healthcare has been growing at the company in double digits, digits for the last seven years or thereabouts in terms of the revenue uh, from that, that, that equipment, such as CAT scans. And he said, quote, we expect to see that continue. So analog devices, a different kind of chip company. And analog device, I'm happy to report, is one of the best of the TL20 names, up 6% since mid-July, the inauguration of the TL20. A very different earnings report was had this week from Dell Technologies, one of the big sellers of personal computers, servers, networking storage. Uh, personal computers have been in the toilet all year long. That's no surprise. Uh, but it looks like now there, some of the growth that has been the bright spot in servers, in networking, and in storage is breaking down somewhat. Uh, the company told the street on Monday afternoon. The results for the quarter that had just ended beat consensus expectations, but the outlook for this quarter's revenue was lower than expected by a billion and a half dollars. And worse, the company is indicating, it didn't give a formal forecast, but for 2023, the company's CFO Thomas Sweet told the street to expect uh, that um, he gave a sort of roundabout way of explaining his outlook, but basically what it comes down to is the outlook for 2023 could be $10 billion less than analysts have been forecasting. Uh, analysts promptly started to cut their estimates pretty deeply. Um, not only are personal computers expected to continue, to continue to be weak, and not only is there some slowing of growth in server computers, networking, storage, but there's all of the uh, global macroeconomic factors, said Sweet, including, quote, slowing economic growth, inflation, rising interest rates, and currency pressure. Of course, the, the strong U.S. dollar has tended to depress revenue for multinationals, including Dell. He added, quote, these dynamics are creating a broader range of financial outcomes for our upcoming fiscal year, particularly as we think about the second half of the year of 2023. Uh, broader range of financial outcomes is not what the street wants to hear that is the epitome of uncertainty. The street hates uncertainty. So Dell is significant because it's the first time you've seen uh, a prominent uh, US-based company explain what they see as um, an unpleasant outlook for 2023. It's not a, a nice picture into 2023. You may want to couple, uh, check out a couple of interviews this week that I had. One was with Jay Kreps, the CEO of Confluent, a software maker that went public in mid-2021. I've interviewed Kreps a couple of times before. This was the 
the, maybe the longest treatment of this company that I've done so far. And I find Confluent to be a fascinating software maker. Um, the company produces a piece of software called Kafka, which is named for the uh, Czech writer Franz Kafka, who was producing work in the 1800s and into the early 20th century, uh, works of existential despair. Uh, Kreps, Jay Kreps, had developed the Kafka program, which is open source, when he was at LinkedIn about a decade ago. And then he went on, he left LinkedIn and went on to found this company, Confluent, which sells a version of the Kafka software. So you can get Kafka software for free. You could install it yourself. But a lot of companies are finding it hard to run this on their own. It takes huge teams of engineers, and that's helping Confluent create a business to run it as a managed service in the cloud on behalf of these companies. Now, uh, Krebs has been hard pressed to explain to the street what this technology is. It's somewhat abstruse. Uh, but in particular, he's having a hard time with the street because things are going so well at Confluent. Most software makers have been talking about push outs, as they call them, taking longer to get a deal signed to sell software in customer shops, more scrutiny on software purchasing. That hasn't been the case for Confluent. In fact, this quarter that was just ended, that was reported November 2nd, was the sixth quarter in a row. It's the sixth quarter since IPO, and it's the sixth quarter in a row the company has beaten expectations for revenue. And this report was the fourth time in a row the company raised its revenue outlook for this year. And so investors are saying, how come you're doing so well? It's kind of the same question as got put to analog devices. Well, the response from Krebs is to say, quote, we tend to be attached to those projects that are operational, and that's why they don't get the ax, is his contention. We dug a little bit deeper into what is the nature of this software, because it can be so hard to understand. And it, it, there's something brewing here that's maybe a little bit bigger than um, just doing well quarter by quarter. Uh, traditionally, something called a database has been a repository for information that gets collected and then later looked at. So an Oracle database system is where your customer data ends up, your logistics data, your product data, your supplier data, and you sort and sift that to see patterns, right? You do analysis. It's a repository where you keep track of what's going on and then later you analyze it. The Kafka software is what you might call a diary. It keeps a sequential record of everything that has transpired. So if you gain a customer, if you lose a customer, both of those things are events that are kept track of by the Kafka software. This is becoming a way to have applications be notified about significant developments that go on for a company and respond to them in real time. So rather than responding days, weeks, months later to information in the database, more and more applications can respond to a stream or a flow, as it's called, of events that they have to act on. So you gain a new customer, you immediately send them perhaps some kind of um, incentive to purchase. You gain a new supplier, you immediately send them some kind of important paperwork, digital paperwork that they need to sign on to. All these things can happen in real time. And Krebs's contention to me was uh, most businesses aren't the kind of batch process of the traditional database. Quote, it's something much more continuous that's happening out in the world. For that reason, it's possible that 
the Kafka software in the Confluent version could increasingly start to eat into some of the role of a traditional database in my view. I think that's my view. And Krebs basically agreed with me in that respect. He said, I think a lot of what was previously kind of batch processing, these old databases, will move into real-time streams, says Krebs. You can kind of view every business process as taking in some data streams and producing some other data streams, which means the Kafka software becomes the pivot point around which data is consumed by a company in the form of events and then turned into new data that become new events. I like to think of the Kafka software as being like the cash flow statement, to use a financial analogy, finance analogy, to what had traditionally been the balance sheet as represented by a, a traditional database. The traditional database is a picture a snapshot in time. It's very organized but it has no movement. The cash flow statement, whether three, six, nine months, or 12 months, is a picture of change, of development, of action, and that's what this Kafka software is. I find it fascinating, and uh, I think that it'll be very interesting to watch how this spreads. The company, incidentally, forecast not only this current quarter, but forecast 2023. It's giving the street an early read on it, what it expects will be its revenue for next year, 760 million to 770 million, is above the consensus estimate of 763 million. I asked Kreps, you know, why do you go ahead and forecast 2023 when most companies, such as Dell, are saying there's too much uncertainty? He told me, quote, we have a plan internally. It's not final, but it's kind of shaping up. We have a reasonable view of how the business is developing, and so it's reasonable in a time of great uncertainty not to wait another quarter. We might as well give people a little bit of a sketch of where we're going, end quote. Uh, maybe you could think of this as real-time streaming financial forecasting by Confluent. Uh, fascinating company to check out. The other company that I looked into is a company that I spoke with earlier this month, Cambium Networks. Atul Bhatnagar is the CEO. Uh, I've spoken with him the most number of times of any company I've spoken with at the Technology Letter. He was the first interview I did way back in the fall of 2020. Uh, it's always a delight to speak with him. Cambium Networks is a company that's on the comeback trail. It had been a high flyer in 2020. Stock was up huge, uh, also into the beginning of 2021. And then what happened was, as we got into this supply chain mess, it restricted the company's ability to get parts for several quarters. They make real equipment. They make real stuff, not software. They make gear. These, this is wireless equipment that includes chips and software, printed circuit boards. They couldn't get parts like a lot of companies that make real stuff. And so uh, the stock plunged in 2021 and struggled into the beginning of 2022. But last couple of quarters, they've been able to beat expectations as they've gotten a grip on this supply chain situation. Availability has become better generally. And so we've been able to return to talking about the core business for Cambium, which is making all kinds of wireless networking equipment that are going into all of the most interesting markets in the world. Um, this includes things such as Wi-Fi 6, the latest version of Wi-Fi, which is having a big role in renovating enterprise networks. That business is on fire. It is nearly quadrupled year over year in the most recent quarter. The company's raised its outlook. One of the reasons that the product is taking off is it's now being adapted by companies, uh, service providers that are serving multi-unit residential dwellings, MDUs, and hospitality such as hotels. Uh, they want to spread Wi-Fi throughout a hotel with greater range, greater reliability. Uh, they now want to plug it into applications. So if your hotel, you have these digital door locks, you can use the Wi-Fi network to lock, unlock 
the, those digital door locks uh, remotely. So gaining new uses for Wi-Fi in this new technology. Uh, there's also a market for 5G that is interestingly taking off overseas more than in the U.S. In the U.S., the story of 5G has been mobile handsets, 5G on handsets as it has been throughout the world. But overseas in areas of Latin America, the Caribbean, Africa, there is a booming market for fixed wireless networking that replaces what would have been fiber, what would have been DSL in areas where it's hard to run those lines or it's just not cost effective. So the company had one of its biggest deals ever uh, in the Caribbean, in one of the Caribbean islands, to roll out broadband 5G service via these point-to-multipoint radio systems. Same in North Africa, same kind of trend. Uh, interestingly, there is a market in the U.S. that the U.S. is leading, which is the opening up of spectrum in the 6 gigahertz band, known as the C-band, uh, for fixed radio uh, service. This is adding to what had been capacity in the 5 gigahertz band that had been very crowded. So all of these interesting details, uh, to me, fascinating portrait of wireless, fixed wireless networking, fixed wireless broadband continuing to expand rapidly all over the world despite economic uncertainty or along with economic uncertainty as broadband becomes more and more crucial. And this company, Cambium, is just at the heart of it. So I would encourage you to take a look at that. It's a really fascinating portrait of what's going on in technology and economic development. KBM stock has been not the worst performance. It's up. It's down 21% this year. Uh, it's up 8% since the report on November 2nd. It's had a rebound as, as things have, have improved. As I said, this coming week will be a fun one for earnings. That includes a mix of companies large and small. Uh, on Tuesday afternoon, we'll get CrowdStrike, Intuit, NetApp, Workday, and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. Hewlett-Packard Enterprise is the part of Hewlett that doesn't sell PCs, it sells servers and networking. Uh, so another interesting read into that, uh, whether the health of servers and networking is breaking down, as it had been the case with Dell Technologies this week. Also on Wednesday, we'll get Elastic, another vendor of open source software like Confluent. Nutanix, a company I've interviewed a number of times. Okta, the vendor of zero trust, quote unquote, security technology uh, for digital cybersecurity and Salesforce, the SaaS giant, also on Wednesday afternoon. Also on Wednesday, we'll hear from two great TL20 names, two of the better performing TL20 names so far, Pure Storage and Snowflake. These companies have held up much better than some of the other names. Uh, Pure Storage is up 17% uh, since it was picked in mid-July, and Snowflake down just 2% since mid-July. That's, that's actually one of the better performers. So we'll see if these companies can keep up uh, the great results that they've had uh, in recent quarters. Also this week, I'll be interviewing Qualcomm CFO Akash Palkewala. Qualcomm is also one of the TL20 names. Palkewala is a great interview because uh, he's a charming fellow, but also he is one of the longest serving current executives at Qualcomm. He's been there for most of his career. And so I think he has an amazing perspective on how this company has changed over decades. I'll be excited to talk with him about how Qualcomm's profile is changing from a vendor of strictly um, handset modem chips and processors into a broader vendor of chips for IoT, the Internet of Things, for uh, connected automobiles and for uh, the RF front end, the radio frequency chips, where it has competed with Corvo and Skyworks solutions. 
see how this is catching on with investors. Uh, so the, check in later in the week for that interview. I'm real excited about that and glad that Paul Kiwala has made himself available for this. Um, so final thoughts. This week is the 36th year of the Neural Information Processing Systems Conference, affectionately known as NORIPS, which is the premier conference in artificial intelligence. I've been covering and attending this conference for a while now. I'll be covering the keynotes this week for ZDNet. You may want to check out my profile page over there to see coverage of that. Uh, interestingly, this year, there's something going on in the background in the fields of machine learning, deep learning versions of machine learning in particular, which is a little bit of a, maybe schism is too hard a word, but there is a difference of opinion that's sort of coming to a head about what direction machine learning, deep learning should go in. It's been highly successful in developing things such as AlphaZero, the program that excels at playing chess, at playing Go, at Shoji, and has been able to uh, develop all kinds of other achievements in um, full information, limited information, game playing. Also things such as GPT-3, the open AI program that stunned the world by producing uh, piles of verbiage that are human seeming. This has all been a result of scale, 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 which by which I mean making bigger and bigger AI programs has been the trend supplied by tons and tons of powerful GPU chips from NVIDIA. So scale has been the story in recent years. Uh, but some of the deans of the field question whether this is the direction that things should be going in. In particular, last month for ZDNet, I interviewed Jan Lecun, who is a pioneer in machine learning and is the head of AI research at Meta Properties, the owner of Facebook. Lecun told me that he thinks scaling alone will never get artificial intelligence to achieve true intelligence or anything like animal or human level intelligence, something else is needed. So there's not really a schism here, but there is an emerging um, conflict of views among the leading uh, pro uh, protagonists of AI as to where the field should go uh, next. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if that comes up in some of the keynotes this week. For the Technology Letter podcast, I'm Tiernan Ray. Thank you for listening and have a great week.